friends. Welcome to the Ridgedale Students Podcast. Ridgedale Student Ministry is a family of middle and high school students at Ridgedale Baptist Church following the way of Jesus together in Chattanooga, Tennessee. If you'd like more information on all things RSM, you can find us at ridgedalebaptist.org students or on our social media pages. Thanks for stopping by and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Welcome back to the second episode of our summer series on the Beatitudes. My name is Ada Kate. I'm the student ministry associate here with Ridgedale students, and I'm super pumped to be here with my co-host, Chris Frakes. Hey guys, what's up? Uh, super excited to finally get to record episode two <laughs> after our like month-long hiatus. Camp, Portland, all the things have held us back for a little bit, but here we are again. Here we are. We're back uh, and so excited to actually start talking about one of the Beatitudes. Yeah, I'm pumped. So today we're looking at the first Beatitude. We find it in Matthew 5, 3. And it said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So last time we recorded, we asked why the Beatitudes. Um, the answer is, in my opinion, it's the reason I chose this, uh, they are some of the most radically countercultural teachings Jesus ever offered. And really, I think he starts with what might be the most countercultural of them all. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, being poor today is not what we would say is a blessing. And yet Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, which starts his hearers off in, in really total confusion, I think. Um, and so how can the poor be blessed? So, Anna Kate, what are we actually looking at this episode? So today we're going to talk about who actually are the poor in spirit, why is Jesus blessing them, and what does this tell us about God? I'm Boy, super excited. I'm excited, too. This is like, it feels good to be back recording a podcast. It and does. so uh, let's jump in, shall we? Yeah. So first question, who are the poor in spirit actually? Man, so much debate around this question. Um, here's, here's how I think we kind of have to start this. The best practice here requires that we acknowledge the three most common views on who the poor in spirit are. Um, and I've kind of given each of these a, a different name. Um, I like to be creative in that way. The first, I think, is what I would call the spiritual self-deprecator. Um, it's those who say that when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, that he's speaking of people who know that they have nothing to offer God. Um, they come to him bankrupt, essentially. Uh, they're people who are broken of their sin, know that all of their hope is only found in God. Um, that's the view that I was raised on. That's what most teachers that I listened to as a kid, that's how they presented it. Um, and so this one resonates with me on a deep level. Um, and is it true of how God receives people? Absolutely. Uh, I think we see this in Jesus's parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that we read in Luke 18. Uh, God loves, he blesses those who come to him and offer very little spiritually. Um, they acknowledge that they have his love and that's really all they need. And I think that that parable and this beatitude in particular offer us a great amount of hope. Um, so I don't think that this view is wrong. I think that this is on, um, but we'll talk about a little bit more as we kind of expand on these different interpretations. Second, I think there are those who are uh, would call this the spiritually messy. Um, that's the poor in spirit, the spiritually messy. So those who would say that the poor in spirit are just kind of messy people. Um, 
they can't get it together. They're, just, they're poor in spirit. Uh, as I was thinking about it, I thought like this is like the first century Jewish equivalent of the Southern saying, bless your heart. Yeah, like, oh, they're just, man, they're so messy, like, bless their heart. It just, it just, that's, that's what it kind of rang to for me. Um, And we see this in in guys that I love. Eugene Peterson in the message translates Matthew 5, 3 this way. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more room for God. Um, you're, You're at the end of your rope. You just don't have it together. You can't, you can't figure it out and you have nothing to offer God. And so you just kind of come to him and say, God, take all of what I have. Dallas Willard calls the poor in spirit the spiritual zeros. So life is a mess. The blessing is found in enduring the mess faithfully and clinging to Jesus as our hope. Now, the last one is what I would say is the most controversial of all the interpretations of the poor in spirit, and it's a literal interpretation. Um, I would call this the social literalists. So it's those who say that Jesus isn't spiritualizing anything here. He's literally speaking of the poor. Um not in a spiritual sense, not in a like theological sense. You're just poor. Um, you have nothing physically or spiritually to offer, and that's who he's speaking of there. And so we're going to have to ask the question, then, who is right? There's three interpretations that we can look to. Um, what I would say is, truthfully, all of them are right in some way. Um, but at the same time, none of them can fully alone represent the text on its own. And so I want to explain that a little bit. So the first interpretation, fully supported by Scripture. We are the spiritually bankrupt, and we need to come to God and just offer Him what we have. I think that God blesses and acknowledges those who recognize the bankruptcy of their spiritual condition. I don't think there's anything that goes against Scripture in that. We see the mortified tax collector goes away justified because of the sincerity and the faith of his offering. And so that that lines up with Scripture. Here's the problem. When we lean only into this view, it creates a sense of self-deprecation within us. And so church history, I would say, if you look back at it, is fraught with people who have done not just great harm to other people, but great harm to themselves because they view... This be attitude from the perspective, I have nothing to offer God. Um, And that misses what we were created for. It misses the fact that we're image bearers, that we're redeemed. We're set right with God and with others. And we're set right to co-create with God, not just as lowly, sinful people who need to get out of his way while he works. Um, we're We're not Samson when I'm trying to do a project and he's just kind of in my way trying to help. Um... He has something to offer me there. And I think we, in the same way, have something to offer God. It's just this this mental state that we sometimes can't get past. The second interpretation, I think, is equally true and supported in Scripture. Um, This view that we're just messy people. And so that kind of releases some of the over-spiritualization while still putting some of it in the dirt. Um, Who wasn't messy that wound up interacting with Jesus? Everybody Jesus encountered every degree of the mess of humanity. And he often seemed to draw people into the kingdom more who were messy. Like the messier you were, it was like, oh, the kingdom feels so much more liberating and freeing. But I don't think that this fully grapples with either of the major spiritual and social dimensions of the text itself. Um, it's almost too flimsy, in my opinion. And that's that's coming from a person who loves Eugene Peterson and Dallas Willard. Um, I think both of them are incredible theologians. 
But at the same time, I think it just it leaves something to be wanting, both in the spiritual dimension and in the social dimension. And then finally, you get the final interpretation. And I think that that one most truly gets to the heart of the text because of what we see when we look into the Greek. So the Greek, there are two words for poor. There's panace. So panace is kind of the like living paycheck to paycheck. Um, you're never getting ahead, but you're never falling behind. You're just kind of like you're going along, just making ends meet little by little, but you're never able to accumulate something of, of wealth for yourself. Um, this is not Jesus's word. Jesus uses the second word for poor, and it's this word patokos, um, which literally would translate as the poorest of the poor, destitute, um, someone who has been ground down to financial nothingness. The The really interesting thing about patokos is it, it has not just like a a financial element to it, it has like a posture element to it. So the person who is patokos literally like walks around hunched over and bent over and they like they're just beat um, and they have nothing either physically, financially, anything, particularly spiritually to give to anyone. Um, this is the lowest of the low. And so this one, while being really true to the text, I don't think either is comprehensive in what we need. We lean into this purely socialized version of the poor in spirit. We depart from the overarching message of the Bible. Jesus didn't just come to meet physical needs. He came to meet spiritual needs. Um, and along the way, he, he meets some of these physical needs as well. Man has physical problems, though, in the Bible, and all of them stem from spiritual brokenness. And so I think that none of these interpretations alone can fully explain the text, but at the same time, all of them have their place. And so who are the poor in spirit then? Um, I would say it's those who have nothing. Um, that's a literal, that's a spiritual sense. Jesus' audience would have had people who were the messy person, um, who were the run-of-the-mill Jew, who just couldn't seem to ever feel at peace with God. No matter what they did, it wasn't enough. And they felt within themselves a deep brokenness over this. Jesus's words were for that person, um, the person who just can't get it together. At the same time, there would have been a destitute man or woman bent over on the outskirts of the crowd who needed to hear that the kingdom of God was open for them, that it wasn't closed off because they didn't have the 401k to get themselves into the kingdom. And so Jesus, what I love about the way that Jesus teaches is he takes just the simplest words and he somehow stretches them to meet every single person in his audience. And I think he's doing just that here when we read Blessed are the Poor in Spirit. Yeah, I really appreciate all of those explanations you just gave because I agree that it's kind of a combination of all three. Because we have to remember, like we talked in the first episode of the Beatitudes, these people are sick, they're paralyzed, they're mm -hmm. lepers, like they have nothing. And mm -hmm. so the fact that Jesus is saying, hey, blessed are the poor in spirit, like that says a lot about who Jesus is. But if you put yourself in the position of the crowd, like just think about how hearing those words from Jesus would, would resonate with your soul. The second thing we have to look at is why is Jesus pronouncing blessing on them? Um, blessing is such a central theme of Jesus's ministry. It wouldn't make sense for us to read something like the Sermon on the Mount and not see that in Jesus. You know, like we, we have to see blessing because Jesus was a blessing person. And I think the Beatitudes uniquely confront us on multiple dimensions. 
And this explains some of why Jesus chooses to bless in this way. Like he's meeting the person who's spiritually messy and he's meeting the person who's destitute and he's meeting them in the same space. And so I think that Jesus's blessing particularly has to take place in two different spaces when we look at the Beatitudes. And so the first I think is Jesus's blessing is a radical redefinition of who the kingdom is available to. Um, Jesus's day, you didn't associate the poor with the kingdom. Um, you definitely didn't associate the kingdom with spiritual screw-ups or people who just couldn't seem to get it together. Um, you had to be put together. You had to be well-mannered, respectable. And Jesus's audience, like you said, is comprised of all of these people who are coming from the mess of the world, who are seeing Jesus perform these miracles, seeing him heal people, seeing him restore people. And they're seeing in Jesus's words and in his actions, a radical redefinition of who the kingdom is open to. I think Jesus is speaking hope to the overlooked. Um, I really do. The kingdom is open to the overlooked. And so Jesus blesses with these words by opening the door of the kingdom to the imperfect. How refreshing is that? You know, like in, in our 21st century context how refreshing is it to know that i don't have to be perfect to to inherit the kingdom um you don't have to be perfect or put together or wealthy to receive the blessing of heaven only jesus blessed in this way i think second too though uh we have to read this as a descriptor of the condition of the person so like i said you can't like you can't over spiritualize and you can't under spiritualize what jesus is teaching here if you look at this history, this is this is really cool. If you look at the history of the phrase poor in spirit, this is actually a common phrase that was used during this time. And it began just as a descriptor of the poorest of the poor. So you started off and it was like, blessed are the poor in spirit, or, or poor in spirit was a descriptor that might have been placed on somebody. And they did this because uh, over time, when people would look at a poor person, they they only saw like physical poorness. But then over time, like you, you stare at someone who's poor long enough and you begin to realize like, man, you just really don't have anything. And so it became kind of this Hebrew idiom for um, like, not only do you have nothing physical to give, but you have nothing spiritual to give. You just, you, you have zero, um, which I think is where Dallas Willard kind of pulls this sense of spiritual zeros from. And so Jesus would have known this when he's speaking to the crowds. I don't think this is lost on Jesus. I think he's speaking with this Hebrew expression in mind. And he's saying, you may be the poorest of the poor. That may mean physical. That may mean spiritual. That may mean financial. Guess what? The kingdom is still available to you, and it's open to you regardless of finances. Um, I think he's equally saying, though, at the same time, if you're here right now and you're just at the end of your rope, you have to see that you're blessed because I can work with this. I think this beatitude can be so tough to parse out, um, especially today because we've lost so much of a context for blessing. Um, and so like, when's the last time someone blessed you, you know, like, can you, when's the last time someone blessed Anna Kate? Oh gosh, I'm not, I don't know. Yeah. Um, honor and blessing, um, maybe the last student ministry night, the last house night. Yeah. Uh, maybe Portland, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. blessing is something that we associate with you sneeze. And yeah. someone says, bless you. Like, we, that's our that's our context for blessing. And so when we lose our context for blessing, words like this from Jesus just become narrow. They become exclusive. 
Um, and these were neither things that Jesus was. He wasn't narrow and he wasn't exclusive. Um, and so we have to recapture a view for blessing that transcends whatever binary our subculture holds. Um, you know, to use kind of the the political illustration of this, uh, someone in a more liberal camp might read Blessed of the Poor in Spirit and they say, yes, we have to care for the poor. Um, but we have to understand that Jesus did not come, like I said, for the purely physical solutions. He came for the souls of men. Um, and so he came to reveal the spiritual in physical dimensions. At the exact same time, though, you look at someone who's in a more conservative camp, and they might be saying to themselves, yes, we have to acknowledge that we have nothing to offer God. I think in the exact same way, you have to tell that person, one, don't let this beatitude lead you to a false sense of how God sees you and others. You are not someone who has nothing to offer God because he has given you a role in co-creating and stewarding creation. And at the same time, you have to second, don't let it stop you from acknowledging the very people that Jesus lived among. Jesus was poor. He was homeless. He was an itinerant rabbi. And so he lived amongst the poor people. And I think really, uh, just to kind of wrap up my thoughts and, and then throw it over to you, Anna Kate, I think Rich Velotis is really helpful here. He says, the church is not to be found at the center of a left-right political world. And I would say that's a left-right social, political, economical, whatever way. He says, the church is to be a species of its own kind, confounding the left and the right in the so-called middle and finding its identity from the center of God's life. Jesus confounded the world by radically blessing groups of people who had come to expect no blessing from God whatsoever. We as the church have to return to this way. I, too much thoughts for me. Anna Kay, I want to toss it over to you. What, no, what are you I thinking? I love hearing all your thoughts. Um, I think it's really important to remember, too, like the blessing that Jesus is giving is saying, hey, yours is the kingdom of heaven. And it's not just some like Joe Schmo being like, hey, all you poor people, the kingdom of heaven is yours. It's Jesus. Mm. And when the son is inviting you into the kingdom, you're coming in as a son too. Mm. So he's um, giving them this new identity. He's like, you don't have to think of yourself as the poor anymore. You can think of yourself as an heir, like a co-heir, because you are. Mm. Um, I know this happens kind of towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but it also really reminds me of, in Luke 14, when we get the parable of the banquet, it's like Jesus mm. is taking the role as a servant, going out into the highways and the hedges, being like, you have a seat at the table. Mm. Like, all you have to do is come in. Mm. The last question I wanted to ask you was, what yeah. does this reveal to us about God? I think we have to preface this by saying that this was Anna Kate's question in the like build up for this. I like I think way too much in the head, and I remember our first conversation as we were going through these, and Anna Kate was like, "I just really want to know what does this tell me about God." Um, I love this question for that, and I feel like this beatitude in particular, it just hits different because of how much is swirling under the surface of it. Um, you have to acknowledge too, like. There's not just one Beatitudes. Like, so we're drawing from not only Matthew 5, but Luke 6 here. Luke 6, it's not blessed are the poor in spirit. It's blessed are the poor. The same word used to describe both, patokos, is used there. And so there's a lot underneath the surface of this blessing. For me, I think it just speaks to a God who is far better than my circumstances. Um, God is willing, not only is willing, but is like pursuant 
of blessing somebody who is in a destitute state, either financially or spiritually or physically, Jesus is coming after that person. And so whatever my circumstance is, it gets superseded by the God who comes for me in that circumstance. Um, I, I also resonate this with this in, in what I read from Dallas Willard. There have been seasons of life where I felt like a spiritual zero. Um, and so even in those moments, if I can lift my eyes to Jesus and his work on my behalf, um, I get a glimpse into the kingdom that he says is mine. Um, it's not something I'm striving for. It's something that he is pronouncing and blessing to me. This is available to you. And so I, I think that it reveals to us just a God who's far above whatever circumstances I, I'm encountering right now. What, what about you? Yeah, um, along with everything you just mentioned, um, it reminds me that the kingdom of God is welcoming and it's accessible. Um, and it, it's like the person in charge of the kingdom is a God who's caring, who mm. sees you, who sees the born spirit and is like, okay, come on in. Mm. Um, and, and also, I don't know if this answers this question, but um, it's kind of Jesus personifying what they've heard in the Old Testament, but also giving like this, hey, if you were going to like look at a trailer, for Jesus' ministry. Mm. It would be like, hey, blessed are the born spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because you're going to see Jesus go and help the woman with the issue of the blood and mm. heal all the people and sit and eat with people who people don't think he should be. Mm. Um, so it's kind of twofold. It's like Jesus is coming on the scene saying, this is what I'm about, and giving them like a little glimpse of that before he shows them. He's saying it before he can show with his actions. Mm. So yeah. So good. So good. Is that cool. the end of the episode? That's that's the end of our second episode. Wow. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. Yeah. Um, tune in next time when we talk about blessed are those who mourn. Mm. That'll be Matthew 5, 4. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. We didn't do a question at the beginning oh, of this. Goodness, we forgot. What what can be our like question? Oh, okay. If you were drafting a dodgeball team of Bible characters, cool. who is your first round draft pick? First round draft can't be Jesus. Okay, can't be Jesus because obviously his glorified body can just disappear and right. he'll never get hit by and the ball. Just like show up and get oh man, I I think I would have to go with David. Okay. And I feel like David's athletic. I don't it's know why scrappy. I feel like that. He's scrappy. Uh, he was called Ruddy. Mm-hmm. I don't really. Ruddy seems like something that I want. Well, yeah, Ruddy, yeah, yeah. Ruddy David. Right. I, I think that he would be a great first-round pick in that. I really yeah. think he's going to pay off once we get into the later rounds of For the sure. tournament. Um, what about you? I'm taking John the Baptist. Man's living mm. in the wilderness. It's probably pretty tough. He's going to be ripped. Yeah. Also, he's baptizing people all day long, yes. so his biceps, they had so. to, like, man, he, he'd have a nasty throw. Yeah, he for sure would. I think that's great. Boy. Well... We have wandered to and fro. Hopefully this has helped you. Um, We can't wait for you to join us on our next episode as we look at Blessed Are Those Who Mourn. Until next time. Don't sweat the petty things. Don't pet the sweaty things. Love you, RSM. Mm.